going to be grappling with this week as we launch today. I hope to look at what Jesus began in the first advent when Christ came. Next week, we'll look at what's going to happen when Christ returns. And then we'll look at uh, what heaven is like. What does the Bible really teach about heaven? Then we'll look at is hell for real? What does the Bible talk about hell? What does it teach us there? And what happens when we die? Heaven, hell, death, Christ's return, and today what Jesus began when he came. Because here's the, here's, here's the thing. What you believe about the future will determine radically how you live in the present. What you believe about the future will shape the way in which we live in the present. John Ortberg wrote a book called Eternity is Now in Session which inspired so much of, in, in, in particular, this talk today, but the heart behind this series. Now, I don't know what you believe about God. You may be here, you may be watching today, and you may be an atheist. You may believe there's no God at all. You may be a deist, kind of believing that God is distant and he, he's, he's uninvolved in our lives. Maybe you haven't thought about it that much. Whatever it is that you believe about God and the future radically impacts the decisions you make in the present in your life. In fact, I've been reflecting a little bit about this, and I think our modern tendency to be so busy stems in part from what we believe or what we don't believe about the future of life. We cram our lives so full of so many different things, right? Um, we always feel overwhelmed. I don't know if you know uh, what hurry sickness is. The late um, cardiologist, Maya Friedman, coined the phrase, hurry sickness. After his upholsterer, who used to fix his uh, chairs in his waiting rooms, noticed the way in which the chairs were fraying and being worn by people who were anxiously wearing away at his chairs in his waiting room. He described hurry sickness as the condition or the quality of our lives where we're always feeling rushed, worried, preoccupied, and like there's not enough time to do what we want to do. And then COVID came, right? And we all learned our lesson. We all got reset, right? And now we've learned our lesson and we're not so busy anymore. I mean, honestly, as a pastor, I've had many conversations. In 2022, it, it seems that there's record levels of busyness that we've just picked up. We all thought this is the big reset. We're going we're gonna to come back and we're going to get it right now, right? And then we all just picked up where we left off, and we got so busy. Why is it that we cannot change the frantic pace with which we live? Why is it so hard to slow down? And I think it's in part because of the internal timeline that we live according to. Not your circadian rhythms of sleep and rest, although those are impacted too, but more what, what you believe about time and your place within it. What we believe about the future will radically impact and determine how we live in the present. Here's three worldviews I want to put to you. Today's message is entitled, The Story We're Living In. The Story You're Living In. And I'm trying to uh, set up the series as we start to look at the true story of reality that goes into eternity in this series. I wonder what story you are living in. Here's three stories. Perhaps maybe we'd say they, they, there's, a, there's a sliding scale and you may find yourself in between some but let's have a look at three stories I think we live in in our culture today. Number one, the I story. The I story. The I story is the secular belief that there is no God, or if there is a God, it doesn't really matter because God is distant and aloof, and he's not really interested. And so you kind of just got to get on with life 
and do the best you can. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, a couple of years ago, Richard Dawkins, the atheist who wrote the book, The God Delusion, he paid for and launched a bus campaign in the UK, decorating all the buses in the UK. Can we bang up the slide? Richard Dawkins on the bus in the UK, the red bus, there's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. The I story, the belief that we are temporary beings and we live for a moment in time and then game over, nothing, right? The average life expectancy in the world at the moment, 72 years. In South Africa, 64. Some of us are doing really well, hey? Beating the odds. Generally, if you're a woman, you get three to seven years longer than the dudes. If you're a, a guy, you get three to seven years less. And then in the I story, it is game over nothing. In this belief or this worldview, the purpose of life is do what makes you happy. Do what makes you happy. You are the center of your story. So look within yourself. Find your truth. What are my desires? What are my dreams? What are my hopes? What are my fears? And, uh, and, and what do I believe will make me happiest in my 70 years? And then do that thing. Is it home, family, is it children or travel? Is it wealth or simplicity? Is it safety or adventure? What is that thing that will make me happy? And do that thing. Obviously, try not to hurt people along the way. But generally, the I story can be summed up. The purpose here is the pursuit of happiness. The, the law that people live by in this worldview, be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. Other versions of that, follow your heart. All these things that Pinterest, you know, just put them on the poster on the wall. Follow your heart. Seize the moment. Be true to your truth, right? You do you. Be true to yourself. And the timeline we live according to, it's now or never. So you better do it now. Otherwise, you've got no chance. So squeeze it in. Make it count. Don't waste the moment. You can start to feel the angst already start to build. The timeline graph, if we can jump to the picture there with a, with a kind of, there it is. You live here, 19-something. Some of us were born 20-something, by the way, you guys. Well done. Thank you for propping up the front end. Most of us, 19-something. I'm confident there's no 18-somethings here. Um, maybe you were taking your vitamins. I don't know. Uh, you live here, and then 20-something. And, and that's all that there is. And so life is kind of a terrarium. It's these 70 odd, or however many years you get, and that is it. And here's a terrarium over here. It's just this. This is all that there is. This is all I focus on. This is what my life is all about. Now, there is the second worldview I want to look at today is the Christianized version of the I story. The Christianized version of the I story. It's a bit of a hybrid between the I story and some of the teachings of Jesus. This goes like this. There is a God. This God is good and he's loving and he's just. He made the world and he made everything in the world. And he wants us to be happy. Life is kind of like a great test. Either you will, when you die, you will pass the test and you will go to heaven or you'll fail the test and you will go to the bad place, right? The purpose of life then is about getting to the good place. It's rooted in a belief of the gospel that goes like this. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He died on a cross so we can be forgiven for our sins. So that when we go to heaven, so that when we die, we will go to heaven and be with him. Salvation then is about getting into heaven when we die. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus who made the way for us to go and be with Christ 
in heaven, all of which I'm profoundly grateful for, but here's the thing. Salvation is more than just about getting me to heaven one day when I die. As wonderful as it is, the gospel and salvation is so much bigger and grander than getting me from down here up there one day. Now, when you mix in a very strong current of our story in our culture, you end up with this worldview. The great law is, what do I have to believe to get into heaven one day? I mean, what do I have to believe? If life is a test, and that's what the purpose is, uh, that determines where I go one day when I die, inevitably we ask the next question is, well, what do I have to do to get in, right? Because of the I story, we, we, we generally ask the question like this, what are the minimum entry requirements? Like, I mean, like, just give me the baseline. If, if, I, just, if I just make these things, they, they can't keep me out, right? And thereafter, I've got my heaven insurance. Life becomes about what I want to do still. I mean, be mindful, sort of be good, but life is still about what makes me happy and live, being, me being fulfilled. There's so much of what you've heard of maybe the phrase consumer Christianity, where, where my faith is about me, I go to the church because I, I like it and I get something out of it and I feel built up when I leave. A lot of I you can hear in what I'm saying, you know. And it happens like that. The timeline we live by here is life is still primarily focused on the here and now. Because eternity is covered, let's get on with it here. And so uh, the idea being that eternal life begins one day when I die. But we're kind of waiting in this temporary space in the meanwhile. The timeline looks like, if we, um, we stick up the picture there with uh, the, the, the life and death there it is there, kind of looks a bit like this. It's very similar, but with this kind of disconnected, mysterious gap. I'm not too sure how it all works. It's, well, you know, what's heaven going to be like? Who can really know? But I know that it's, it's okay, and it's covered, and it's parked over there. But life still looks largely like that, and I'm still focused primarily on my little terrarium. The purpose of life is, given that eternity is covered, live the best life you can, and God will kind of help you on the way, and in the meanwhile, you go through life, you stay on the path, you do the right thing, and magically one day, Jesus will appear, radically transform everything about you, and you will belong in heaven. Salvation is reduced to a transaction that arranges for a future destination. Okay. Obviously, I'm not batting for the second one either. Let's have a look at the third worldview. What is the third story? All of us live in a story. Every one of us has a, has a kind of a context, a frame of reference that we, we think about life from, we make our decisions from, we do relationships on the basis of. Here is the kingdom story. Let's take a look at Jesus' message. Jesus' must be said, main message, his primary message. When Jesus began his ministry, Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, Jesus' opening, this is what I'm all about. This is what Jesus said. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. What, is he, what did he come to do? Proclaiming the gospel of God. What does that look like? And saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Jesus' message was in his coming, in the first advent, the kingdom of God has come. God's kingdom has begun. Or in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, 
Jesus, Jesus now announces it for himself. Now he has training disciples and he's commissioning disciples to go out into the world. And this is what he tells his disciples to do. And he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to what? To proclaim the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come and to heal. And then, and so Christ himself, and then the disciples, the originals, uh, 12, and then you see after Christ ascends to heaven, we, we read in the book of Acts, we read uh, the, the church is born. Now, what does the church do? Christ, his disciples, now the church, Acts chapter 1, what's the church all about? Acts chapter 1, verse 3, and Jesus presented himself alive to, to them after his suffering um, by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days. What did he do? Speaking about the kingdom of God. That was the beginning of the book of Acts. Well, Acts closes in Acts chapter 28, the last verse of, of the book of Acts. The last thing we know the church is doing. Many say Acts chapter 29 is still being written today by churches just like ours. What was the church busying themselves with? Well, let's look at Paul in Rome, the last verse of the book of Acts. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. Jesus' main message was that in the first advent, in the first coming of Christ, the kingdom of God had come to the earth. Heaven was breaking into earth in the body and person of Jesus and then continued breaking through into the 12 and then continued breaking through through the early church and continues today in Acts chapter 29 in and through Constantinburg in Cape Town City. The age of the kingdom began with Christ. Jesus' message was about the kingdom of God, which is mysterious to us today. Let's be honest. What does that really mean? In essence, the kingdom of God is, uh, is the sphere where which everything that happens is right and, and meets God's approval and delight. Everything in the kingdom of God is precisely the way God wants it to be. Have a look at it, the way Jesus described it in the Lord's Prayer. He explained, explained his, uh, he revealed his plan in the Lord's Prayer. Remember, remember these words. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Here's my plan. Here's my plan. I'm going to bring up here, down here. It's not get them out of here and take them up there. It's up here, heaven, invading earth through Christ and through the lives of ordinary Christ followers like you and me. Now, there are far cleverer, better minds who say it far better than I do. N.T. Wright said it like this. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer is all about. John Ortberg in his book that one I reference says it like this. Through Christ, God's power has become available to increasingly turn ordinary human beings like all of us into the kind of people who live in the ways of God in the here and the now. The gospel announces the availability of life under God's reign and power now. Up here, sorry, up there is coming down here. By grace, through Jesus, he invites you as a gracious gift to become an agent of the kingdom, to experience God's reign in your own life, 
in your own body, in your own will, in your own desires and what you want from life. And then to become a conduit of God's power and joy and love to a bruised and bleeding Cape Town all around you. The great law that believers in God's kingdom live by is this. Become a disciple of Jesus. Jesus never asked anybody to pray a prayer to go to heaven one day when they die. He invited them to follow him, to, 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 to realign their lives around who Jesus is. He invited us to bring our whole lives under the reign and the rule of Christ, to have our, all of who we are transformed so that we fit in his kingdom. They would follow Christ. Remember he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They would follow Christ in such a way that through following him, they would be changed. Through being with Jesus, they would become like Jesus. And as they become like Jesus, they would learn to do as Jesus did. Perhaps the better language for discipleship is the language of apprenticeship. It's not a word we use too often today, but neither is discipleship. But apprenticeship is where... where where, where someone commits to being with the master in such a way as to learn all they can from him so that they can become like him. Jesus invites us to apprentice to him. Dallas Willard put it like this. A disciple is someone whose ultimate goal is to live their life the way that Jesus would live if he were me. Just think about that. If Christ was in me, I mean, if Christ was me, what would it look like? How would I love my children? How would I love my wife? How would I engage with my colleagues? How would I, how would I do life? The question of timeline is this. We are eternal creatures living in God's great story. Eternal creatures, one part of that God's great story in contrast to the little I story, God's great story. We can look at that slide with a sort of bigger timeline with all that's the one over there. This is like a sort of like a clippy art um, version of limited computer skills trying to capture the great story of the world. But, but in contrast to that little 72 years and a dash and these two numbers, here is what is happening in the world. This age, Christ came in the first advent and then Christ ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost to fill the church. You see the blue, the blue increase? There were, uh, what's probably missing there is a little bit of blue on this side as well, a little bit, but greatly enlarged by the power of the Spirit in filling the church. Uh, there is an age to come where Christ will return turn and he will complete what he began in his first coming he will bring we'll, we'll learn all about these things next week don will speak to us about the return of christ and what will happen then and then yes ultimate destinations and reality as well but you and i are living our lives are located in the great story of what god is doing in the world Jesus began something in the first advent, and he will complete it in the second. The fancy theological word is Jesus uh, inaugurated his kingdom when he came, and he will consummate his kingdom when he returns. You and I live in what, what the Bible speaks of as the last days, the overlap of the ages, while sin is still present, but glory is invading. We live between these times. Jesus launched his kingdom in his first coming. He will complete it in his second. You have been saved and drafted into the greatest story the world will ever know. 
It is the great story of Christ and the salvation of the world. Jesus rescued you and wants to transform your life so that your life represents his kingdom. Now notice the primary timeline that we looked at there was not just your terrarium 70 years. Your life is woven like a thread into the fabric of the great story of what God is doing in all time. The I story has been swallowed up in Christ's great story. Just think about that for a second. I know we know it. It's, it's, it's not that we need new things we don't know. It's that we, we need to appropriate what we already know. The, uh, we live in a world that will incessantly tell you, it's all about you. Live, do, do you, do you, do you. And yet, Christ saves you out of the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom, into this great story. The great story your life is located in is not your own. It's Christ. Your life has been swallowed up in what God is doing in the world. So eternal life then is not just about then, there, one day. Eternal life is now. You are already living in eternity. You, Jesus has begun something in you which death cannot stop. We're going to see this in this series. Ortberg's book rightly says, eternity is in session. Dallas Willard put it like this, eternal life in the individual does not begin after death, but at the point where God touches the individual with redeeming grace and draws them into life interactive with God himself and his kingdom. You don't look inwards to find your meaning and your purpose in life. You look outwards and upwards and see who God is and his kingdom breaking in and ask what does it look like to join Christ in what he's doing in the world. What is the purpose of life? Two things. To live in such a way as to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, number one. All the whilst, number two, becoming more and more like the king. We're gonna explore this more and more in the series. It's enough to say now, as you, as you become more and more like Christ, as, you, as the kingdom of God makes it more and more on earth as it is in heaven through your life, one moment, one decision, one choice at a time. Take a look at how you see this played out in the life of Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, verse one to nine. What happens when the kingdom of God, not the Christianized version of the I story, but when the gospel of Christ breaks into an ordinary Christ follower's life? Luke chapter 19. And Jesus entered Jericho and he made his way through the town. And there, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region. He was corrupt. He betrayed his own people. He was hated. And he had become very rich because he was obviously corrupt. And he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by that way. And when Zacchaeus came by, so when Jesus came by, thank you, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, come down. 
I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus into his house with great excitement and joy. It's a beautiful picture of receiving Christ. He took him into his home with great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. And they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated any people of their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. There's no minimum entrance requirements happening in the life of Zacchaeus. It's just something has so profoundly impacted me. I've become a new creation. I've been so transformed that the old ways I used to live just seem inadequate. Putting myself at the center of my life just doesn't match anymore. And what does Jesus say when this happens in verse 9? Jesus responded, salvation has come in this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Jesus says salvation has come in his home today. Now what Jesus is not saying is Zacchaeus is going to go to heaven one day when he dies. It's true, he will. What is Jesus saying? It means the kingdom of God is broken in through this man's life. How do I know? Because the poor are receiving help. The cheated are receiving justice. The kingdom of God is breaking in through ordinary people like you and me as we surrender our lives to the king and we begin to live in the ways of his kingdom. The world is changed. All the whilst you are being changed as well. Let me stop for a second before we apply this to our lives. What story are you living in? What story are you living in? What must we do? If Jesus began something that he's gonna return and complete and you and I live in this moment empowered by the spirit, positioned in the church to bring his kingdom now, if that's true, how then should we live? Number one, we should recalibrate our lives, our time, our money, and our dreams according to God's great story. It's not about the I story. How radically different is this story to it's now or never, so be true to yourself and find what makes you happy. There is so much more meaning and purpose to live with. No wonder we're so anxious having to look within ourselves and generate an, a meaning and purpose. Christ says, no, step out of yourself and step into the kingdom and live for a purpose that is grander than your own life. You are part of an, you are an eternal being in a temporary world. You have, you have been drafted in as part of the cast of God's great drama to restore the world in which we live. You are in a story that is bigger than your own. There are data points in your life that are bigger than our cars or our careers or our houses. They are bigger than the state of our nation. You are living in a story that is so much grander than that little terrarium over there. The great data points, Jesus has come. Jesus will come again. Everything that we do in between matters here and it matters there. When we lose sight of this, the temporary circumstances of your job and your career and the nation, I feel them too, all of these things. They become the loudest voices that demand our attention and inform all of our decision making. 
And what we're trying to do in this series is to zoom back. Say, yes, there's a cloud here. Yes, we feel it. But let's zoom back. Whoa, whoa, it's bigger. Out of the terrarium into reality. And then make decisions based on these things here in, in the day-to-day moments of our lives. Step out of the story, the our story, into the great pages of reality. The story of history and the past, the present, and the future, written by the Father with Jesus as the protagonist who saves his church from the power of sin and selfishness and invites us to, to, to draw power from the Spirit to live in his ways here and now. They say, oh, you're so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. Have you ever met somebody like that? The world is waiting to see what someone like that looks like. I think the early Christ followers had an understanding that enabled them to endure hardships. They took hits. They lost their lives because they were living for something that was grander than just this terrarium of now. The second thing we must do, and there's only three left. Okay, we've four, we've done one, three to go. Number, number two, go all in. Ask how much can I give versus how much can I keep for myself? I'm part of Discovery Vitality, right? So every week I have a series of goals, as do many of you, that you have to achieve, right? Now the question that I come to when it comes to these goals is what is the bare minimum I can get away with to maintain my status in this program so I can get the benefits that I want, right? This is a totally appropriate question to ask when it comes to like airplane seats and discounts and things like that, right? But imagine I was to stand on my wedding day with Lauren and say, babe, I wanna know today, what is the absolute least I can do to stay married to you? I mean, what is the lowest level of commitment? What are the fewest affirmations? What are the smallest promises I can make? What is the highest level of ignorance permissible for for, for me to maintain my husband's status? I mean, what do you think would have happened that day? Are you living in the second story? I've got it covered. I believe the right things. Oh, mostly it's kind of about me. And you're trying to keep as much as you can for yourself. Do I have to go to church most Sundays? Do I really have to join a life group, care about other people? Do I have to care about my community? Is it 10% before tax, after tax? All of these questions are how much can I keep for myself and still make it in? It's hard, I know. Our whole lives are groomed. The whole world wants us to think like this. But there's a way of thinking that says, I'm stepping out of my terrarium and my eye story, and I'm stepping into Christ's great story, and I want my life to count for what God is doing in the world. So God, use me. Everything I have is yours. I'm going all in. And I can't tell you what that looks like, but I know that if you do that with Christ, He will lead you. And he will enable you to do that. Number three, make it your purpose to know God more. Eternal life and the way in which the Bible talks about eternal life is not primarily marked by duration. It's marked by relationship. In in week three, as we look at heaven, we'll get to John 14. In John chapter 14, verse three, Jesus speaking about heaven says this. This is eternal life. What's eternal life? This is eternal life. 
that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The Bible makes it clear that eternal life is, a, is an experiential relationship with God. Ortberg in his book points out that philosophers distinguish between two types of knowledge. There's knowledge by description and there's knowledge by experience or acquaintance. I can tell you about Namibia I've never been. As a family, we're planning a trip there in the nearest future. It was a German, there's, there's lots going on in Namibia I can describe to you because I've read about it. Knowledge by description. About six weeks ago, I walked out of my house onto my deck and I felt the southeaster. And it's, you, I don't know if you'll believe me, but I, I could almost feel the air pressure. There's a feeling that I got because I've lived in this place for so long that I could close my eyes and know what season we were in because I know this place. It's in me and I've been in it. I've experienced it. This is the knowledge. It's not description I've heard about, I've read about. It's actually knowing Christ is what he invites us into. It's interactive, it's participatory, and it's experiential. Make it your mission to know Christ more if you're a citizen of his kingdom. Last one as we come into land. Are you ready to land? Number four, spend as much time as you can on things that will last for all of time. Recognize this world will suck you in as much as you can to a little terrarium existence. You get to break the glass. You get to break the glass, and you get to, to invest in all of this. When you become a, a disciple of Jesus, you break free from limited time. You break free from limited time. You have got all eternity to grow, to enjoy, to work, to travel. Think of yourself more, as a, more like an olive tree than a temporary daisy. A couple of years ago, I had the privilege of going to Israel, and I looked and I took a picture of a thousand-year-old olive tree in the Garden of Gethsemane. There is recorded and certified an olive tree in Greece that was around the time of Christ. These trees, because they, they're not just fleeting like fruit fly existences, too many metaphors, they're not like daisies that shoot up and disappear. They don't make temporary decisions about this present climate and what's the immediate thing that I can do to make sure I'm okay. They take a long-term view on life. They endure seasons of hardship, seasons of pruning, seasons of difficulty. Why? Because they look through those short temporary seasons and they see what long-term effects they are doing in their lives because of the trees that they are becoming in view of the temporary circumstances they are in. They don't take temporary shortcuts because that little shoot that they prematurely lopped off thousand years from now, that could be the thing that's catching light protecting its existence. You are an olive tree in a world that is full of daisies. Our, 
we'll, we'll shout, buy this thing, do this, hook into debt to get this, get it now so you don't miss out. You're not gonna miss out on anything in eternity. If you are living for Christ and if you step out of that terrarium and into Jesus has come, Jesus is coming back, all of this is gonna be transformed in his will and your life is playing a role in that. If you can step out of that and into this, your life will take on now a sense of meaning and significance that you could never get in that little terrarium. It will change the way you think about what you do with your time. It will change the way you think about what you do with your money. You'll start to invest in things that will be around for all of time. And you will break free from this hurry, rush. And your life will count in a profound way. You are an olive tree. When you go to work tomorrow and you make your decisions... And there's a temptation to take that shortcut. Or take the easy option. Or make a life-altering decision because of this temporary reality. But you know that's not honoring the kingdom of God. You've lost sight. You're not a daisy. You're an olive tree. You are growing and Christ is growing in you. Live in the present in light of ultimate reality. Break the glass. That's what this series is all about. Can I invite the band to come up and can I invite us just to reflect a little bit about who you really are? Let's stand together and let's pray. Let's close our eyes. Christ, the voice of our, it's just, it's, it's incessant. It never stops. It's so loud. It would cause us to be fully absorbed exclusively with the here and the now. And yet today, Christ, we've seen something of the eternal work that you are doing in the world. It's so tempting to think that News 24 or Sky News or whatever it is that we're watching is the great story of the day. It's not. It's just this moment. But you stopped the clock on our lives and you invited us into your eternal story, Jesus. So easily we get caught up in our own little eye stories, Christ. I ask that... Uh, Jesus, you'd help us to take our eyes off ourselves. Help us to take our eyes off our temporary circumstances. But to look at the great story of who you are, what you call us to, and what you're doing in the world, and then to come back to these temporary circumstances with a fresh perspective, Jesus. Just as we stand here, I want to give you a second to reflect. Have you been caught up in the our story? You've been looking inwards a whole lot. You've been looking horizontally to the big, the big data reference points in your life have just been these temporary ones. Today you've been provoked to look upwards and see Jesus began something. Jesus has not given up. He is coming back. He is at work. He has empowered you with His Spirit. He wants to break into this world in and through your life. Maybe for some of us, 
we're actually investing too little in the, in the eternal things that will last. And too much of our thinking and our concern and our worry is going into the temporary. And it's not that those things don't matter. It's just that they, they find their pr- appropriate context in light of the great truths of Christ and what he's doing. take a second to do business with Jesus Christ would you take our eyes off ourselves would we begin to see ourselves as your disciples primarily as kingdom agents whom you want to break in to the city through Jesus perhaps as you hear actually Jesus' message to you is not pray this prayer and you've got it taken care of one day when you die Jesus' message is come and die now come and be a, be a follower of Christ your our story dies you, you, you say I, I put that thing to bed and, and, and Jesus awakened me to ultimate reality of who you are Christ of what you're doing in the world and teach me Jesus what does it look like to live in the ways of your kingdom in what you are doing in the world, Jesus. That's the prayer you pray. Jesus, I wanna be your disciple. Teach me, Jesus. Remake me as a human being. Forgive me where I've got it wrong. I wanna live in the ways of your kingdom in the here and the now, practicing for all eternity where we'll be together, Christ. together but as we sing trust Christ to minister to you as you think freshly about the timeline of your life